before we get started, I need you to do me one favor. Pull out your phone and text this number, 501-214-4307. I just want to text you a couple of times a week, send you some fun messages, videos, just to encourage you on your unconventional journey. Again, all you got to do is text 501-214-4307. I just want to be your friend, y'all. Just text me. Uh, remembering what it's like to be young, to be open-minded, to to create something new. What it's like whenever you first discover who you're going to be or discover what you want to... I was born with several falls. I have always felt small. I was told not to take risks. I may be blind, but I teach people how to see. And I'm proud to be an individual. This podcast is for you, the unconventional leader. Maybe you are the one that everyone discounted. Maybe you struggle with fear and self-doubt. We are here to empower the next generation of self-starters to step up. Use their voice and make an impact in this world. A kid is not going to listen to you unless you listen to them as well. That comes from today's guest, Richard Ellis. And if this is your first time listening, what is up? My name is Heather Parody. I am your host, and this topic is one that I really love, helping young people embrace difference. Our guest this week, Richard Ellis, is a retired school teacher with 23 plus years, motivational speaker, college headhunter, and entrepreneur. He helps disabled individuals, especially if they have the same disability he has, arthrogryposis. Today, we talk about how he has helped young people as a teacher embrace difference, love, and accept themselves. And we also dig into embracing change and leading into discomfort. This is a powerful conversation, and Richard is a super cool man. You can check him out at richardellisspeaks.com. That and his socials are linked up in the show notes. And if you have someone in your life who works with young people, this would be a phenomenal conversation to share with them. All you have to do is take a screenshot and send it to them via DM or text message. I'd really, really appreciate that. All right, y'all, let's get into this. Helping young people embrace difference with Richard Ellis. My educational career actually started kind of in a bad way uh, when I was a young kid. I was born with a disability called arthrogryposis. And when I started school, this was, now I was born in 1971, so the early 70s, when I started school, children with disabilities didn't really go to school with everybody else. So I went to a school that was just for disabled kids, and we didn't learn our ABCs and our one, two, threes and things like that. We learned how to put our clothes on. We learned how to, to oh, eat. We learned how to write. We learned how to do all of that. As a matter of fact, my first grade teacher, my kindergarten first grade teacher, she I've recently gotten back in touch with her and we talked about that. And she said she really wanted to do that with me. She saw that I had the ability to do that as opposed to some of the other kids, but they weren't allowed to and they didn't have the resources. They didn't know how to work with kids with disabilities. So I was, I've been, I was behind pretty much from kindergarten all the way through high school. I was all, I always struggled as far as academically to become a teacher was out of this world. It was crazy because I struggled for so long. Is the assumption correct that there was maybe a stigma assuming that physical disability meant neurological? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Back then as well, there was a lot of cultural differences than there are now. You know, there were parts of the of the world, parts of the country, and there still is now where uh, if you have a disability, you don't go to school with everybody else. You don't get a job. You don't drive a car. You don't do different things. There was a stigma there that, okay, you're 
physically disabled, so you must be mentally disabled and you're not able to do different things. So I struggled. We went, I got into public school about third grade and I struggled starting from there because I didn't have the background that a lot of kids had. You know, as I became a teacher, I think that helped me a lot dealing with kids that struggled because I had those same issues when I was growing up. I've made it all the way through high school. I went to junior college and I actually got kicked out of junior college because my grades were so bad. And so uh, when I was sitting out from junior college, I went and I taught Sunday school. Uh, a friend of mine said, hey, why don't you come and teach Sunday school at the, back then? And I said, okay, I'll try it. And it clicked. Um, I found out, hey, I, I want to work with kids. In order to work with kids, you've got to get a college degree. So I went back to junior college. But believe it or not, when I went back, everything just started to work. Everything clicked. You had and it was like, what? Yeah. And I had a purpose. I had a mean, I had a, an, an idea. I went to junior college, like I said, and things really started to move. And then I went out over to UT Arlington and uh, things changed there too, because when I was there, I met a group of gentlemen that played wheelchair basketball at UTA. UTA has one of the best wheelchair basketball programs in the world. And I was part of the staff. I was an assistant coach on the basketball team. And I learned from these guys. I saw these guys in wheelchairs that lived an independent life, big influences on me. And it was kind of like I was said, well, I'm not alone anymore. I've always all these years been the, the, the one disabled guy in all your classes and all the things that you've done. But now I've I found these other guys and we could talk about all the different things we had in common. You know, when you walk into a store and we know someone's staring at you and you just, it's no big deal. It's just like, okay. Or, you know, whenever you have to adjust to learn something new, it's, we built from there. I went off from UTA to UNT. I was going to get my master's degree and I decided, well, I'm ready to start teaching. So I got my teaching certification there and it's been a crazy roller coaster since then. What, what are some of the things that stuck out in your mind in all these years of teaching? Maybe something that you've learned or maybe a theme that you've seen among young people, something that just really, you kind of just summarize your experience as being a teacher. I think uh, kids really want to be, they really want to learn. I was even saying to someone the other day, there's kids that get in trouble a lot and they really want structure. They really want you to, to teach them because maybe they don't have that in their lives. For the longest time, a lot of my students that I've stayed in touch with after they've graduated or after they've had my class, uh, they've come back and visited, they've stayed in touch because uh, I did give them that structure. And there was, I've even ran into kids that said, you know, you were the only one that kept me in line that called my stuff. And even at, there were, especially athletes, a lot of athletes, sometimes teachers just kind of let them go because they're good athletes. And there was one, actually one night I ran into a gentleman and he said, he was a really good soccer player. And he said, you know, a lot of teachers just let me slide by, but you were the only one that held me accountable. And I really, really appreciate it. The structure is just so important, I think, in a, in a young person's life. And I learned that also when I taught AVID because we had to teach them organization, keeping things in line and keeping things organized. Yeah. What about uh, just retiring? You decided, you know, to retire and mm -hmm. not just lay down your hat and be done, but also kind of build a, a venture, uh, an entrepreneurial venture and a speaking career. What was your motivation for that? Well, first off, uh, six years ago, actually six and a half years ago, I had a heart condition. I had a mitral valve. Um, my heart that wasn't working properly. I had to have surgery on that mitral valve and oops, just pulled out my ear. Piece. Um, I had to have surgery on my um, mitral valve and uh, they had to replace it. After that occurred, my life kind of changed a little bit and I had to kind of get things organized. 
the, unfortunately, the first surgery didn't work out. So we had to have a second surgery to have replacement surgery, and they replaced the mitral valve. I went a couple more years teaching there, about five more years teaching, but my body's just not as strong as it used to be. And my body was telling me, hey, Richard, you need to get out of teaching and start looking for something new. Yeah, I'm retired, but these are I'm doing stuff now that I've always wanted to do, that I've always you know had dreams of doing. And it's like, this is really, really cool. And I've I've done things like I've tried out for America's Got Talent earlier this year. I've done some stand-up comedy. I've got a booth in an antique mall that I buy and sell stuff from. I'm a college headhunter for hire. Um, have some clients that I help get into college and help get scholarships. You know, there's so much other stuff. On top of that, I'm married now. I got married this past August, and right. we have a foster son. It's so cool because I'm getting to do all this different stuff that I've wa- always wanted to do. My wife is so supportive. She pushes me. She supports me so much. This little guy that we're raising, he's two years old. He's fantastic. My foster son. Like I said, I, I got the, the America's Got Talent tryout. I get to travel. I get to go to, I get to do different things in the middle of the day where usually I'd be teaching. And, you know, last year, one of my former students, he got commissioned in the, in the army and I got to go to his commissioning service in them, you know, where otherwise I probably wouldn't get to do that because I'd yeah. be working. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the mindset that you have to have with you love teaching. You know, almost, you might could say prematurely had to retire where you may have can, can continued on and, and enjoyed it. And a lot of times people would be really broken over that and be like, why God, you know, and mm-hmm. um, not really embrace this, uh, this as you have and seeing it as an opportunity to quote, do the things you've always wanted to do. What kind of mindset shifts do you have to, in order to approach something that some people might see as a disadvantage as advantage? Sure. Well, my whole life I've been adjusting. I've had it just because of my disability. Um, my mom calls me the great adjuster. I always try to find new ways to do different things. You know, a lot of times I don't even have to think about doing it. I just do it. It's just my mind is working, you know, 24 seven, you know, how, how do I have to, what do I have to do to do this or do that? You know, as far as teaching and getting out of teaching and doing what I'm doing now, it was a process. I kind of saw everything coming especially that last year of teaching, there were signs of, hey, you know, it's time to move on from this. You've done what you've wanted to do, and it's time to to maybe start stepping out and doing some other stuff. I experimented out outside of teaching with some of the stuff that I'm doing now, and I found, hey, man, I really like to do this. I really like to do that. So whenever it was finally over with, uh, matter of fact, my first motivational uh, talk last year at Texas A&M University, one of my former students, um, he was in a leadership program down there and he called me and said, Hey, why don't you come down and be one of our uh, speakers for our class? And I went down and did, did that. I was still teaching at the time, but, um, so I reached out and I did that. I, I started the process getting into doing all this while I was still teaching. So the transition, I think, was a lot easier and it wasn't as difficult. And I think in my mind, I was ready to to go. There's certain things in your life, you do so much of it and you finally say, Okay, maybe I could do more. Maybe there's a future in the, on the, you know, with this. But at the same time, I think I had reached that point that it was time to move on. And I, and I will say this: I taught the, I taught AVID, which is a college preparatory program. I love AVID, love the whole structure, the program, everything. I did that for 15 years. But right before I did that, I was about to get out of teaching then. And one of my assistant principals at the time, she caught me in the hallway and said, hey, we'd love you to teach AVID. It saved my career because I would have retired probably 15 years ago if it wasn't for Wow. And what is your your message right now that you're trying to convey through your speaking and your business? 
it's several fold because I've actually done talks. I've not just talked to kids groups. I've talked to business. I've talked to a business group the other day. I've talked to, to teachers. I've talked to students. I've talked to adults. I've done all kinds of different things. I think right now with the climate that we're going through, coming out of the quarantine, uh, there's changes in our country. There's changes in people's mindset. We really need to be open-minded and we really need to be ready for the new world. We need to be ready for what's going to uh, greet us when we come out of our doors, when we start going out again, when we start meeting new people. And a uh, matter of fact, I'm, I'm setting up a talk in a couple of weeks just about who are you going to be whenever you come out, when we walk out of this quarantine, when we start our lives again, when we go back to work or back to school or back to wherever, are you going to be the same person that you were before now? Or has has your mindset changed? Are you ready to change those things. And that's my message right now, I think. And, but especially for younger folks too, because younger folks tend to sometimes be negative about themselves or maybe be too self-centered about themselves, which I mean, a teenager, that's yeah. a teenager. Um, that's kind of natural, but more about reaching out and helping others and about accepting other folks because we're all so different. The climate's changing and this whole world is changing. And it's going to be interesting when we get out, get outside. How do you see it changing? I think that's, you know, uh, I, I look at it a little bit like 9-11. You know, I was talking to a call back. I was teaching during 9-11 and I remember, you know, everything. And I remember teaching kids for years and years that were younger that, um, that remember 9-11. But then after that, I had to teach a lot of kids that weren't alive during 9-11. And that was a really strange. <laughs> and, but uh, I think uh, this time period... I tell kids, I talk to kids all the time now, uh, that you're going to be the ones that are experiencing this and you're going to be the ones that are going to be teaching folks. And uh, so I think as far as the change and what's it going to be like, I think it's we're going to have some, I don't think it's going to be an overnight change. I don't think things are just going to be better as we walk out, unfortunately. But I think the mindset's going to be there and the openness is going to be there for change. It'll be a gradual change, I think. But I think the positivity is there and the openness is now there yeah. For, yeah. for that change. Talked about difference. Um, how do you, how do you help young people embrace being different or embrace embracing each other's differences? Uh, I, I always tell uh, kids, uh, especially kids, because I know that they're so uh, absorbed in themselves. Once you accept your, you have to accept yourself for who you are. And for me uh, to say with my disability, my life changed when I accepted my disability. When I said, look, this is the body that you're in. This is the person that you are and nothing's going to change. You're not going to have surgeries. There's not going to be some cure. Nothing, none Can of that's going to change. Can you tell me that change. story? Because I bet that yeah. was a process. Getting yeah. Well, here's the deal. Uh, you know, uh, as I went through college, like I said, I met those guys that were in those wheelchairs, those, those, those gentlemen that really had that impact on me. And a, and a lot of them, they had some of the worst things happen to them. Uh, you know, I have a friend, my, my best friend, he was shot when he was 16 years old. Um, I've had, I know friends that were in car wrecks. There was friend, I have friends that were in four wheeler accidents, uh, different, uh, some kids, some of my friends have polio. They are from, um, um, th different countries, Vietnam, uh, Mexico, where they didn't get their polio vaccine whenever they were kids and they, they have polio, which, you know, you think, wow, polio has gone. Polio's not gone. It's still, you know, there's some folks still with it. You know, I saw how they, uh, lived. I, I already kind of in my mind lived that way. 
but it just kind of reaffirmed myself. I said, Hey, you know, you're not alone and you suck it up. You know, life's not so bad. You, you know, uh, things aren't so bad, but it, you gotta, you, I have to accept myself because if I don't, uh, things are just going to be woe is me and sad. And, you know, uh, who lives their life? Who wants to live their life that way? Who wants to, to be sad all the time? I mean, do we all have bad days? Yeah. Do I have bad days? Absolutely. Sitting on, sitting there dwelling on it and thinking about how bad your life could be doesn't do us any good. We got to look, we got to find the positives. We got to find those silver linings and, you know, and, and then that builds us up, I think. You know? how, do you, how do you begin that process though? I mean, that's, it's one thing conceptually saying, okay, accept yourself, but actually beginning that process. I, I, I think it really started whenever I moved out of the house and I went off to UT Arlington. I was around 20 years old. I had went to junior college. I still lived with my parents up until that point. But then I moved out and I lived in a dorm room and stuff. And I had to, I had to dress myself all the time, which sometimes yeah. my folks would help me even when I was, you know, 18, 19 years old. Um, I had to cook my own meals. I had to do my own laundry. I had to do all of that stuff, which other kids had learned how to do when they were 16, 17, 18 years old, but I was learning it at a later age. And uh, I had to learn all of that. And the thing is too, though, and the great thing about my parents is when I was growing up, they never, they didn't change the door handles in my house, yeah. in our house. They didn't change the sinks. They did. They treated me like my brother and sister. You know, if, um, if I got in trouble, I got in trouble. If I, you know, I got spankings just like my brother. Um, you know, they treated me just like anybody else. You know, would have been treated. And that's one of the best things that my parents did. They did some stuff in the background that I didn't know. I didn't know that my high school that I went to, my dad had to fight the school district to get a ramp put in because I struggled walking up steps at the time. And I feel bad now to this day because, man, I mean, I kind of I didn't really, I could have worked harder in school no, not knowing that I went to that school because my dad had to really push people in order to let me in the building, just to let me in the building, you know, yeah. was, was a big deal. You know, I think that process started there with me moving out and having kind of forcing to be independent, uh, kind of like we said, being thrown in the water and go learn how to swim. That's yeah. what happened with me. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's grown since then too, though, because I live and I did live independently before I was, uh, got married, you know, I lived for all this time, you know, independently by myself. I didn't have someone come and help me do right. stuff, but I'm not afraid to ask for help. I'm not a, for, I'm not a person that's afraid to, you know, like if I'm at a grocery store and there's something up on the top shelf, I don't, I'm not afraid to ask someone, hey, can you help me get this yeah. down or, or do something like that? It doesn't bother me. Any. And most of the time I get good responses from that. Right. Yeah. What, what about these kids in these schools? And they're, they're all dealing with their own their own thing, whether it's something that's physical or mental or honestly, even emotional, too. You know, now mental health is, you know, bringing to the surface of just the repercussions of some things that are outside of kids control and what they deal with mentally. Um how do we as like leaders, parents, teachers, we have a lot of educators listen to this show as well, kind of fill in those gaps for these kids and help them uh, gain that independence that you were talking about and start seeing value and worth in themselves? Yeah, that's so difficult to do because kids are so, they're so self-centered. They're so self, you know, into themselves. And, and unfortunately, society has always been that way. And now with social media, it's even more and, and there's cyberbullying and there's, you know, yeah. kids just treat each other so differently. And, uh, uh, you know, I grew up in a time there was bullying when I was growing up and I was I, I saw it and I felt it 
and it was, I was a different kid. I think uh, I always talk to kids about joining groups, about joining together, about banding together, about, you know, working together. And I think that helped a lot. You know, my classroom was kind of a, a refuge a lot of times for some kids. And, uh, you know, we had, uh, I changed out my room there toward the end of my career. I took out all the desks and we had big tables and kids would come in and have lunch in my room. And uh, they'd come in before school or after school. Or, you know, if they had some free time during a class, they'd come over and then kind of work in your room a little bit. It was a little bit more quieter. It was a different environment. And I wanted to kind of set that environment up a, a safe haven and kind of a, a, it was a different atmosphere. And I know not all teachers want that. Some teachers, you know, during lunch, they want the door closed and they don't want to deal with with kids or things like that. And, you know, not all kids and teachers build a relationship and that's okay. It doesn't have to be that way. But, um, you know, uh, I, I think kids have to see positive adults. The, the positives adults have had in our lives, we need to turn that around and share that with young people. Um, I think that's a very, very important part. And um, because kids need to see folks that have overcome. And I think they need to see too, how to share, how to, get along, how to, to care about somebody. Sometimes we don't even, it's crazy. People don't even learn how to care about each other and they don't know, they don't know what to say and the words to, to do it. And there's a lot of awkwardness and there's a lot of uncomfortable, uh, you know, there. And, 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 and my classes, especially my conflict classes, we would do things like, uh, we do, uh, uh, skits on, you know, you're in college and you're, you have problems with your teacher, your professor, and, you know, what is the process of you going in and talking to them about your like your grades or your classes? Or maybe you've got a boyfriend who's cheating on you and you just found out about it. What do you got to do to do that? Or, you know, stuff like that. But I was a real person with my students as well, too. And, you know, I told you earlier about telling my kids about my disability and about that whole process. I would I would wait till about the third week of school. And about the third week of school, I had a day which was called Mr. Ellis Day. And on Mr. Ellis Day, that's when I told them all about my disability, about arthrogryposis. Go in and I wear leg braces. I'd take my braces off and show them how I get dressed in the morning. They'd always ask about how I drive and we'd go out and I'd show them my car and, and uh, they'd ask all kinds of different stuff. They'd get to know me as a person because I think kids... Uh, and this is a message for new teachers, especially if, if you don't show that you care about the kids, they're not going to show interest in what you're trying to teach them. And that, it's not just teachers, but people in society, uh, maybe even parents, you know, they want to just tell a kid, hey, do this. And if you do this, then everything's going to work out. But a kid's not going to listen to you if you don't listen to them as well and give them some viable that let them know they're viable and that they're important and what they're saying is important. I think a lot of the frustration that's going on in society right now, especially you see a lot of young people uh, that are protesting and uh, joining the movement. They're they're like, we don't get, we're not being heard and we want to be heard. And I think that's driving a lot of that. And if you look in history, um, I, I taught history as well. Um, if you look back at the Vietnam War, if you look back at the, at the 60s and the 70s, a lot of that was driven by younger folks that they weren't, their voices were not being heard. And so they were like, well, we got to do what we got to do. What's something we can learn from young people? Oh my goodness. <laughs> there's so much, there's, there's so much technology and there's so much uh, new, you know, I, I, I hopefully try to learn something new every day. You know, I say technology, I think, um, from, and my mind's racing here. That's a good question. Jeez. I, I think, uh, from a, a young person, I, I don't think it's as far as learning from them. It's about being reminded, uh, remembering what it's like to be young, to be open-minded, 
to to create something new, what it's like whenever you first, you know, discover who you're going to be or discover what you want to, you know, a, a student shows up in my class, used to show up in my classroom, and if they had like some artwork that they did in class and they were so proud of it, or if they, you know, learned a new song that they were uh, doing or, you know, something like that, or remembering our youth and kind of shifting that into our adulthood, that's something we can learn from from kids is that life doesn't end at 18. You know, there's so much more life ahead of us. Absolutely. This shows for unconventional leaders. So we, we want to speak to those who feel outside of the box, who go against the grain in, in a variety of different ways. And there's an element of celebration in that because it's cool, you know, being different. But also, too, there's sometimes that thing which could be your greatest strength is the thing that, you know, holds some people back. What, what would be your, just, it's, it's hard because I'm sure there's a lot, but maybe a few minutes of advice for those who are different um, in their industry or a variety of ways um, to kind of step into their leadership, take a little bit more risk, do the things that they've always wanted to do like you're doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my favorite quote, my absolute favorite quote in the world is a ship in the harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are made for. Yeah. <laughs> I love that quote. It was <laughs> I always had in the corner of my classroom up in the top of my of my board. We're not we're human beings, but we're not meant to just sit and, and do nothing. We've got to get out of our comfort zones and we've got to learn. And uh, I know that's easy to say. Because there are folks that do have difficulty, you know, trying out new things. They don't want to. They're, they're stuck in their ways. Um, I know majority of people are not comfortable speaking in public, getting out in front of people. It's something with me, I think, that just comes naturally. I mean, I have no problem. I get in front of people and I don't even think about it. Um, sing, sing some karaoke, do some stand-up comedy, do a motivational talk, um, all of those things. And I don't really even think I don't. I think I, I can't even imagine it, remember being nervous, but, but it's like, uh, I, I think if you're uncomfortable about trying new things, it's experimenting, it's learning a little bit at a time. You don't have to just jump out there and do it. I think it's a process and um, it's a, it's a way of learning. You've got to, and you got to set goals and you've got to, you got to make it a part of your life. There's so many people that have told me, well, I think I'll try this or I'll try that. And, and I said, well, okay, you said you're going to try. Why don't you just do it? You know, trying is an excuse. Yeah, you're going to try. Of course, you're going to try. You've got to get that. You got to get that mentality out of your head. You're not, no, because uh, if you say you're going to try and you don't do it, you can still say, well, I tried, even though you didn't really do That's it. You didn't really try. You've got to, you've really got to um, set your mind to it. And you got to say, okay, you know what? Uh, this week, on Tuesday is the day that I start moving on from my whatever it is. Maybe I need to I forget. Maybe I had a bad breakup and I need to move on from my ex. Well, today's the day that I start doing that. And I've got it. And it'll be a process. And is it going to happen overnight? No, it's absolutely not. But um, I think small goals, smart goals are important. That's something that I, you know, I really believe in. And, and reinventing yourself. And it's, it's so difficult to do. But at the same time, don't lose who the real person you are as well. That's something that I talked to about with some business leaders recently. You know, as we come out of our quarantine and we come out of coronavirus, um, we do need to change our ways. We, you know, we're going to have a new clientele. You're going to have new folks that are out there. Don't change who you are because the person that you were made you the successful businessman or woman that you are now. But 
we can always add layers. And that's a big part of, I think, coming out of this and becoming, you know, trying new things, becoming a leader is adding that layer. And uh, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't happen overnight. It comes with experience. It comes with time. Yeah, absolutely. Amen Amen to that. Uh, I have one final question for you, but before that, um, I want to give you an opportunity to share where people can connect with you online. I know that you're putting out um, online content, YouTube videos and so forth. And also just to thank you for not only coming on today, but also your work. It's so vital. The lives that you've been able to change. I know that you're never really going to fully see or know the ripple effect that your love for these kids um, has had. <laughs> it's incredible. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. And, you know, I was just thinking, um, I've joined a couple of Facebook uh, art groups of folks that have arthrograposis. Uh, this past weekend, I made a video and it was how I cook and, and how I eat. And it's, uh, you know, because, you know, a lot of my videos, it's, uh, I do stuff that most people, they don't even think about doing it. They just do it. Well, I've got to do things a little bit differently. And last night I got a video from a young man, a woman in San Antonio who's raising her son who has my disability. And doggone it, did it not just bring tears to my eyes <coughs> that it's doing it now that he watched my video and he was like, wow, I can, I can do it too. So um, he was making breakfast. So, ugh. <laughs> so may, I, I, I told her, thanks for making me cry. I really appreciate that. I'm a, I, as I get older, I'm becoming my dad and I become emotional. I cry um, every day. And I'm, <laughs> yeah. But, but it's not a bad thing. And, you know, and my students, yeah. and they're going to watch this, some of them, and they'll be like, oh, there's the real Mr. Ellis there. I can well, see the it, They always so try powerful. and they try to make you cry too. It's like, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> this idea of modeling, of being able to see someone who looks like you or has been through what you've been through or Mm -hmm. whatever it may be. It's so powerful. And I think it's just really interesting because even like internal stuff we deal with, like, Oh, I don't want to share this. I don't want to show this because it makes people, well, it makes me vulnerable and it makes people maybe think less of me, but actually it's the opposite. It makes people respect you more. It gives them connection. And like you, this story you shared actually empowers them to be like, oh, well, you know, Richard Ellis, you know, here's him out here doing this stuff in the world. I can too. And that's, yeah. so is it Robert, or I'm sorry, richardellis.com? Is that Richard Ellis, let's see, the website is richardellismotivationalspeaker.com. Uh, and um, also I've, I'm on YouTube, Richard Ellis Motivational Speaker. Okay. Um, I have an Instagram as well, same, Richard Ellis Motivational Speaker. I'm on Facebook. I've actually, I, I actually started a, a separate page um, it's called Positive Folks Doing Positive Things. And once again, like I said, I'm on YouTube as well. And uh, Richard Ellis, Motivational Speaker. Awesome. All that will be linked in the show notes. Very last question. Uh, you shared this story about this time in college when um, you met these these men who had various circumstances, were in wheelchairs, and it just kind of made you rethink a lot of, about your own life. It was a really pivotal moment where you just started to shift kind of your own mindset about your career and your life and your purpose and um, really empowered you. And I was wondering if you were to go back and sit with that Richard, uh, Mm -hmm. who had no idea about the life that was ahead of him and the lives he would touch, the kids he would meet, the experiences he would have, the Richard Ellis day that he would one day uh, conduct. If you were to go and sit with him for a moment and tell him one thing that you understand now that he did not know back then, what would that be? Um, I would say uh, keep moving because it, it all has a purpose. It all has a, an, an ending and it all has a, it all has a great result. There were times and, I'm, and there's times in everyone's lives where you think, Oh, you know, am, am I wasting my time? Is this even gonna, 
you know, come to fruition? Am I just spinning my wheels? Um, I would sit down with that, Richard Ellis, say, Richard, keep going and keep doing what you're doing because what you're doing, it's making an impact. You're not just impacting yourself, you're impacting other folks. You don't even realize it that you're doing that. You know, back then I was living for myself. I was taking care of myself, but, and, and I didn't look around and go, okay, you know, this person's looking at me or that person's looking at me. And they do. I'm a person that, uh, you know, if, if I'm in public and someone asks me about my disability, I want to talk to them about it and I'll share them with them about it. And I do have some disabled friends that aren't uncomfortable, aren't comfortable in public and, you know, they don't like to be stared at, but you know, I've been, I've been at a baseball game where a kid's staring at me and a parent might say, hey, you know, don't stare. That's rude. And I would tell them, no, let them look because I would rather you ask questions and watch me and look and learn yep. instead of just covering your eyes and pretend like I'm not here. And Absolutely. that's something important. I would tell Richard Ellis back then that as well, that, hey, you know, you're making impact. You don't realize it, but you are. And keep doing what you're doing. One of my favorite takeaways from this conversation was this idea that we have to learn to love and accept ourselves before we can help other people. We can't use other people as our motivation. It has to start from within. The inner work is the work, my friends. Again, big thank you to Richard Ellis for coming on today's episode. Again, his website, richardellisspeaks.com. And if you would like to watch these episodes completely uncut, head over to youtube.com forward slash Heather Parody and get all that over there. Hit that subscribe button. All right, y'all. I love you. I'm in your corner and I'll see you in our next episode.